You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to episode 30 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Hope you're having an amazing week and that as this year winds to an end, you are looking to finish strong and continue to create separation. Now, I've got to say, I was hammering out a ride on my Peloton yesterday, something I do five or six times a week, and then for some reason... During yesterday's ride, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Stay in the bleeping fight. Stay in the bleeping fight. And I don't mean that particular ride yesterday. I mean all of our individual battles. Make no mistake. We're getting up. We're going to battle every single day. A battle with ourselves. A battle against complacency, procrastination, laziness, the competition in our business. Just a reminder, stay in the bleeping fight. Don't give in, dig in, push back, create a standard, make sure the standard is the standard and not for a day or two, but every single day. Because when you stack those days, then you're living intentionally and with purpose and soon you're transforming yourself, your life and those around you. And nobody understands that better than my guest today. He's a CEO, he's a humanitarian, he's a business coach, David Meltzer. His mission is to transform the lives of one billion people, billion with a B. Obviously, in order to do that, he had to start with one, himself. No small task, not when he started with so little and rose to astronomical heights, amassing over $100 million in assets, only to lose it all go bankrupt, start over again, and then come back better, stronger, and smarter than ever before. David's very candid about how he amassed that fortune, how he lost that fortune, and then how he rebuilt himself, his business, and having been to hell and back, how he personally defines happiness. This is a great conversation, a conversation that I'd personally been looking forward to for quite some time, and one that you do not want to miss. Episode 30 of The Reinvention Project with CEO, humanitarian, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and business coach, David Meltzer, and it's coming at you right now. David, I am so glad that we could do this and probably should have done it sooner given our close physical proximity, but it is absolutely great to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for making time for the conversation, David. How are you? I'm amazing, and I'm very excited to be here, Jim. I love your perspective on things, and the new show is right up my alley. So even better than talking just sports, we're talking about something that really matters. That's it. Exactly right. And that's why I'm so eager to talk to you, and I really appreciate those thoughts. You know, it seems to me to really understand your philosophy about success and happiness, we have to get into your story and your journey because they're really pretty remarkable. Take me back, David. What was your childhood like? What were you like growing up? Well, I was born in Akron, Ohio, so that says a lot right there. In fact, in the same hospital as LeBron James and Steph Curry, so I thought I'd be the commissioner of basketball at 5'7", <laughs> so uh, <laughs> still maybe, actually. But anyway, I uh, my dad left when I was five. I had a single mom, uh, which was unifocused on education. So like a lot of immigrant parents, right, doctor, lawyer, failure is what I grew up with, with five boys and one girl in my family with no money. But the interesting thing was I was always happy, except for, for one reason, and that's financial difficulty. Whether it was the car breaking down, we didn't have enough money for food, or my dreams of going to college or law school or medical school, they all hinged on our financial success. And I really started to equate my happiness with money at a very young age. Um, and so for me, 
I really wanted to be rich. I wanted to buy my mom a house and a car so I could complete this circle of happiness where I would have no deficiency of happiness. I had this extraordinary mom. My siblings all are extraordinary. They all went to the Ivy Leagues, Harvard, Penn, Columbia. They followed the lessons of education from a lot of immigrant families. And, you know, for me, it was just a matter of I wanted to prove that I was worthy, that I was just as good as everyone else by making a lot of money and buying my mom that house in a car. Mm, interesting. So you had a really strong money drive. And the fact of the matter is you accumulated a great deal of wealth and you did so at a young age. You know, you want to play in the NFL, but that was not in the cards. <laughs> so you end up going to law school. And then after growing up with so little financially, David, you were a millionaire nine months out of law school. How did you do that? And what was your life like at that point? Well, one, you know, I picked the right law school for money. So I always tell people, you know, complete the steps backwards. I went to the law school that had the highest paying jobs in oil and gas litigation. And so the irony was I ended up in the Internet, which was one of the biggest lessons that has driven me my whole life. And as much as I love my mom and my mom loves me, I asked her, should I be this oil and gas litigator in 1992 for $150,000 a year or should I sell legal research on the internet? Without blinking, my mom told me the internet was a fad. It would never work. And I was making the biggest mistake of my life. Uh, and so I have this saying, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. And you know, a lot of times, especially today in the age of entrepreneurship and you know economic freedom and remote working, I think it's really essential that people utilize mentorship and advice from people who have situational knowledge. When I still today, I have four kids of my own. When I need parenting advice, I ask my mom. When I need business advice, I ask someone that's actually successful in business. That is so good. All right, so also you, this is interesting because it, at an early age, again, you kind of figured this out. When you, you had a per diem early on, how much was that per diem and what did you do with that per diem? How did you approach it? Well, for me, one of my main goals to be rich was to pay off those law loans. I'd been blessed to get a full scholarship to college, room and board, but I had law loans. In fact, I wanted to pay them back so so much. One of the lessons I learned, I used to pray in bed, if God could give me enough money to pay off my law loans and buy my mom a house and a car, then I would shovel, you know what, with my hands six days a week, 12 days, 12 hours a day. That's how much I had a desire that I must be what I can be. And so applying that, I got $25 a day for food, no matter what. And I saved almost every penny of it. I bought peanut butter and jelly. I ate on airplanes. I asked people to take me out to dinner. I did whatever it took because I did the math that it was $175 a week. It was $700 a month, which was going to pay down my law loans rapidly so I could reach my objective of being debt-free and buying my mom this house in a car. All right, so you're eating peanut butter and jelly, though, and you've done that math, and you've made the sacrifices. And, you know, it, it is the podcast, David. We could talk about shoveling shit if you want. Okay. That, that's not a problem at all. <laughs> yeah, so, shoveling shit with my hands. There you go. So when when you made that first million or millions, I'm really curious. Like, you know how this is, right? Like, now especially you understand. But when you have very little, and then all of a sudden you have a lot, it's almost impossible to have any kind of value of money when you've never had it. So at that point, were you banking that dough, or were you living and partying like a rock star well initially i banked everything i wouldn't even buy i mean i thought i had lucky socks i took that athletic background i wore the same pair of socks almost every day embarrassingly enough but i saved every penny 
Uh, but what happened was, as I accumulated that wealth, it went from being a millionaire and buying my mama house in a car nine months out of law school to being a multimillionaire. What happened was everything in my life, Jim, it reaffirmed that money bought love and happiness. And it took a while for it to aggregate on itself, even to the point when I was 30 years old, I was a multimillionaire. I was running Samsung's phone division, which ironically is the reason Lee Steinberg hired me to be the CEO of the sports agency was not because of my law degree or my sports background. It was literally because I had a technological background and he saw the future in sports and technology. But moreover, I had run the, this unbelievable job. I, I married my dream girl from the fourth grade and I thought, and she hated me when I was little. So everything was real affirming man the more money you make the happier you are money can buy love and happiness and that really started to shift the paradigm of who i was because i grew up with a mom who packed my dinner in a paper bag a peanut butter and jelly sandwich because we didn't have enough money to eat but i lived in this universe of happiness i was grateful and forgiving and accountable i lived an inspired life and as these this money aggregated, so did my bad behaviors. And I really became a self-entitlement uh, prophecy, self-entitling myself like an athlete or some of these helicopter parents do their children. Let me talk to you for a moment about an amazing brand, company, and product, Overland. Overland is a family-owned American heritage brand that has put comfort and quality first for nearly five decades. They offer outerwear, accessories, and home decor made from sustainable natural fibers like sheepskin, leather, and wool. Also, Overland uses expert craftsmanship to pair the highest quality merino sheepskin, which is naturally moisture-wicking, temperature-regulating, and antimicrobial with supportive memory foam midsoles in order to make slippers that feel better and wear better for much longer. Best slippers ever. And something that really sets Overland apart is that they are one of the only brands in the entire world that uses true double-faced sheepskin, so the suede you see outside is the same piece as the fluffy sheepskin you feel inside. It's lighter, it's more breathable, and it means there are no synthetic materials that are touching your feet. It feels amazing. And everybody needs slippers, so they are the perfect no-brainer gift. Overland offers a 100% satisfaction guarantee, and their commitment to customer service is incredible. Don't wait another day to slip into something way more comfortable. Get the very best, highest quality sheepskin slippers on the market at overland.com slash Rome. You'll get free shipping and free returns, and I recommend you do this right now because these slippers are so beloved, they have been known to sell out. Go to overland.com slash Rome, overland.com slash Rome. Mo money, mo problems, and all of a sudden, David, you're up to $100 million in assets. Before we talk about what happened to the money, when you said that I started to behave in a certain way that was not really consistent with who I should have been or who I want to be, or I had bad behaviors or poor choices or poor habits, like what did you fall into? What was going on? What were you doing? 
well, even before I ran Lee Steinberg, which added another accelerant onto my bad behavior, because not only was I a multimillionaire, but as you know, from the sports industry, I had access to things that even the richest people could. I was, you know, behind the scenes as Warren Moon, my business partner, and I could get to the sidelines of the Super Bowl, you know, every award show, all the red carpets and the VIP parties. I started to surround myself with the wrong people and the wrong ideas. I ended up in strip clubs in the middle of the day with drugs and alcohol surrounding me. And the irony was every time I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing, I was in a state of self-loathing. I couldn't believe, it. I remember having conversations in my head, sitting there going, I don't wanna be here. I have a beautiful, I have three daughters under eight years old. I have a gorgeous wife, my dream girl. I have a home in Rancho Santa Fe, a ski mountain, a golf course. I have all these amazing things. I don't wanna be here, but yet I still behave poorly. I mean, it's so fascinating. So what put you there? I mean, and this is a whole philosophy that you and I can get into the things like happiness. And I really can't wait to talk to you about that, like the true definition of happiness. But if you knew it made you miserable and that you shouldn't be doing it, and I'm not judging because I do shit that I know I shouldn't do that <laughs> makes me miserable. Why do we do it? Why were you going to a strip club? Why were you putting yourself in, putting yourself in that position when you knew it was going to make you unhappy? The science. What's the science and psychology of that? The ego of it was that, number one, I was a pleaser and I wanted everyone to love me because I didn't feel worthy of everything I had. I had an extraordinary amount of guilt right, that right. I wasn't worthy of what I had. And I'm also a pleaser. So how do you say no to the quarterback of an NFL team or you know a, a multimillionaire CEO that wants to take you on his private plane and do dumb shit, like you said? I just didn't know how to say no. And, you know, there is a philosophy you're made by the people you say no to. And here's the other part that really applied to when I was a sports agent, Jim, is that I li literally, nobody around me would tell me the truth. I, I, you know, everybody was giving me yes as an answer. I was living a life where everyone's like, I'm so jealous of Dave. I wish I was Dave. He has this, 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 and this. And nobody was telling me, hey, you know, and there took three people in my life that told me no, the last one being my wife, when she threatened to leave me, that actually raised you know, my awareness to this problem. And then that's when I had to go through that quantum shift to understand happiness in a different way. All right, so there are two things, David, there that are really interesting to me. That part that you said where I just thought like maybe I wasn't worthy, maybe I didn't deserve this. I get that. I think a lot of people that get a lot of things think, hey, you know, why me? I don't deserve this. They start to feel guilty about it. And that's part of the problem. And I love that point that you made about you surrounded yourself with people that just wouldn't say no. Like whenever I hire somebody here, at my show, I always say, hey, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. That's not helping me. It's not making me better. Tell me what I need to hear. And it's so important to be around those people. So $100 million. I mean, did you lose $100 million in assets? Did you lose it all? How did you oh, lose it? I, I lost it all over $100 million. So what happened was I had what I call ignorant arrogance. Uh, I believe all people are ignorant. There's trillions of pieces of data on servers all over the world. How could you know all of the data necessary to understand what's going to happen or how it's going to happen? So the only and best way to do so is find people who sit in the situation that you want to be in and ask them for directions. Well, I had, from the time I graduated law school, you know, been Midas. Everything I touched turned to gold. And so I thought I knew everything. Well, what happened was I had so many assets, a golf course, a ski mountain, 33 homes in San Diego alone. And I was running Lee Steinberg at the time. So I had a nice income as well. But what happened was I got into a lawsuit. I let my ego get into the own way. I 
just poured my cash, my liquidity into the lawsuit to win. It ends up, I lose the lawsuit with mal legal malpractice. I go to my private bank to go get more money. And I'm thinking I got at least 40, $40 million I can borrow against. But 2008 comes, the bank stops lending money. I didn't know a bank could do that. And the next thing I know, I start owing too much money. I had nowhere to get it. Money starts getting really expensive. It's amazing how quickly things spiral. I went from all of that to a rented home, rented furniture, one car, three daughters under eight years old, and well, under 10 at the time. And then my wife was pregnant with our fourth child, my son. So I had a, a lot on my table to try to figure things out. All right, so I mean, this is incredible. So you're in a really, really dark period. What was it like then to start over with nothing after having so much? And what in the world was your process for rebuilding yourself, your brand, your empire, and digging out? Well, two years before I lost everything, my wife at least had set me in the right direction. Uh, so I had started a journey of understanding and taking stock in who I was and what I wanted to become. Uh, she had threatened to leave me. I'd come home from the Grammy Awards with Little John after lying to her and telling her I had a business meeting. And she threatened to leave me, told me that I was going to end up dead if I didn't take stock in who I was. And so I started living my life in a different way two years before with gratitude to give me perspective, with forgiveness in my heart, with accountability in mind, and to live this effective communication of inspired life to start having faith. And I'm not a really religious person, but I do believe there's something bigger than me that knows everything, that's omniscient, all powerful. And I started to realize that that source cares about me more than I even cared about my children. And I wasn't utilizing that faith correctly. So two years into this practice uh, of gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication, I was a little bit more prepared to lose everything, but I don't think anybody's prepared for that great of a fall. And so my mindset was, how am, I going to, how am I going to get myself out of this? And by doing so, I created and looked at enjoying every day, the consistent every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of my potential. I wasn't going to listen to everybody else anymore. I wasn't going to focus in on what was missing in my life and what I didn't want. Instead, I was going to be extremely efficient, effective, and statistically successful with the productivity, accessibility, and gratitude in mind to get back everything that I had. But this time, by shifting the paradigm, instead of trying to go get wealthy, go get worthy, go get healthy, and go get happy, I believe for the first time in my life, I already was happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy. What was I doing to interfere with it? And this one simple shift of my perspective and paradigm changed my entire life, got me so focused that I started utilizing what I call the mathematical equation of luck. I paid attention to and gave intention to what I think, say, do, believe, and even understanding my own personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions, exactly the coincidences I wanted. Attention plus intention equals coincidence. And within two weeks after claiming bankruptcy, filing bankruptcy, I made my first million dollars. Listen, are you stressed out? Probably so. There is a lot of stress in daily life now. Do not let that stress weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or somebody just like me and just trying to make it through the day tension-free, I've got your solution, Theragun. 
Theragun is amazing. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device which releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power, and it is as quiet as an electric toothbrush. And the Gen 4 Theragun does not just feel good, it gets right to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury or just the stresses of everyday life, there simply is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. And if you haven't seen it, wait till you do. It looks like something from the future. Go to their site, check it out, and the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and it suggests guided routines. It's trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, and hundreds of thousands of customers like me. I'm telling you, you need to try Theragun. Try it for 30 days, starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash reinvention right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash reinvention. therabody.com slash reinvention. All right, so it's incredible. Like, there's some reverse engineering going on here, and you actually answered my next question, but I want to rephrase it anyway, David. Like, how do you personally define happiness? What is happiness to you? Yeah, well, it's taken a long time to clearly define it, and I think it's important for people to do so. But for me, it's the ability through gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and effective communication to enjoy, right? To be able to find the light, the love, and the lessons in the consistent every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of your own truth, your own potential. I tell this story, Jim, you'll laugh, but 25 years ago, Bezos was not as famous as me, was not as rich as me, and he knew less people on the Silicon Valley you know, th than I did. And yet, if I met him and he told me from selling books in his garage at the time that he would be the richest man on earth, right, a trillionaire, I would have laughed at him from selling books in the internet. But the difference is what Bezos knew back then that I started to gather right there in 2008, 2009, is that he understood he was just going to enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of his potential. He was going to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun doing it. All right. So, I mean, do is it a matter of enjoying things that are not enjoyable, or do you really enjoy those things? So it's a matter of perspective of faith. See, once you realize that there is this source, if you believe that, and that that source cares more about you, then what happens is all the pain, mistakes, failures, and setbacks become a protection or a propellant for you, meaning it's propelling you to a, a better place. So pain becomes an indicator, not a punishment. And so instead of looking like a victim in a world of not enough, I started to live in this world of more than enough of everything for everyone and look to see where I was limiting myself, creating resistance, voids and obstacles, how I was using judgment and conditions in order to stop me from allowing things to happen. And I got into the study of physics, quantum physics and metaphysics. I started to meditate. I started doing all kinds of things I never would have thought myself to believe in. And my entire life has changed here over the last 13 years, especially since I claimed bankruptcy. All right, so what you did was you flipped your mindset completely. I mean, you transformed your mindset completely. I saw a post you had the other day, David, on Instagram about how we're not making sacrifices, we're making personal investments. It seems self-evident, but explain that. 
yeah. Well, my, my wife hates this one when I tell her that losing a hundred million dollars was an investment. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, 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 right. He thinks it sounds more like a con. Uh, but I believe that if we learn lessons, right? Pain's an indicator that you have a lesson to learn. The pain will keep on coming until you learn the lesson. Uh, so if we have mistakes, failures, and setbacks, it's just investing in ourselves to learn lessons because lessons are the way that we accelerate, grow, that we allow our conscious continuum to compound in the good behaviors so that they aggregate and accelerate together. And that allows us to be bigger and better in what we do. It allows us to learn into, as today is so important, what they call pivot, I call it evolution. It allows us to evolve into a higher vibration or frequency. So we have a greater awareness of what we want who we can help and who can help us, how to get it done, and allows us to prioritize what's important to us, not what's important to other people, what's missing or what you don't want. In other words, doing this allows us not to search for our why, but apply our why. All right. So to that point, you mentioned the why. Let me ask you this. What is most important, the why, the what, or the how? The what. Uh, for sure. Most people don't get things done or don't get to where they want to be because they don't take the time to actually think about what they want personally, experientially, giving wise to provide value. And also most importantly, which took me years, and I think it's everyone's problem, by the way, I didn't know what I wanted to receive. I was afraid to ask for help. I could appreciate what I had. I could acknowledge it by giving it away. I believe the more I give, the more I receive. But nobody taught me to receive. They never taught me that true radical humility was asking for help, asking for more, not limiting ourselves. I still today, I have a mission to empower over a billion people to be happy. And with that mission, I thought it was outrageous that people would laugh at me, make fun of me and scoff at me. Today, I realized, I don't think I asked big enough. I was with Sadhguru the other day. His mission is to empower the entire world. He's like very pleased that he shuffled off a billion onto me. But I continue to ask myself, am I asking for crumbs? We have to learn not only to appreciate what we have, which is to add value to it, acknowledge it, acquire the knowledge of it by giving it away, but especially we need to receive. And if you know your what, personally, experientially, and giving-wise, receiving-wise, I promise you, you'll know who you can help who can help you, how to get it done, and prioritize it effectively, efficiently with statistical success, which will allow you to apply your why anyway. All right, so one billion is a really big number, and I'm not scoffing at that at all. You know exactly what you want, and you've got a process for getting it. Now, I would tell you, David, as you and I are talking right now, you and I have spoken for maybe 15, 20 minutes. We've already covered well over an hour of content in 15 or 20 minutes. I'm getting the sense this is kind of the way you conduct your life. You're getting a lot done. You're extremely efficient in the way you go about it. In fact, I've heard you talk about the importance of being a student of your calendar. Exactly what does that mean? Well, first of all, it changed my life. And what it is based off of is that idea that we have to pay attention to and give intention to the coincidences that we want. And so the calendar to me is a platform that allows me to understand man-made constructive time. See, everyone on earth is given 24 hours a day. It's determined by the particle of light that leaves the sun and how long it takes to get to the earth, which is approximately 186,000 miles per second. And what we're given is these 24 hours of man-made constructive time for activity. And people put judgments and conditions and definitions on activity. They call things work. And you'll, you'll get this, Jim, because I love this. Jeff Morad, uh, you know, my old partner at Lee, bought the Padres. And I told him, I said, 
hey, can I give you $2 million to play second base next year? And he looked at me, right? He looked at me, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, seriously, man, I'll give you 2 million. Let me play second base. You'll save 2 million from the guy you're paying. And, you know, everyone else sees the guy who's playing second base. That's his job. He's working at it. Well, meanwhile, it's truly just activity he gets paid for. And it's activity that I'm willing to pay for. And so when I started to determine things of activity, by the way, I did tell Jeff as well, what did he have to lose? Because even with me at the time at second base, you know, they came in last place. He would have come in the same place with me without me. So nonetheless, he would have, you know, had a $4 million swing on me. Uh, but moreover, I, I was going to say, you should have gone to 4 million. He should have gotten you yeah. to go to 4 million. They were coming in last place anyway. Why not? Exactly. You know, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but the real lesson is, you know, we put those conditions on activities and this falls within the crux of three different lenses to use as a student of your calendar. There's activity you get paid for, activity you don't. Activity you have planned, activity you don't have planned. There's an activity called sleep, which is to me the most frustrating of all activities because most people on earth go to sleep for eight to 12 hours and wake up tired. That's like me taking you out to dinner, dinner gym at Mastro's. You and I having a huge feast there on the coast and after a two hour meal, walking out and you looking at me and saying, man, I'm hungry. It's <laughs> counterintuitive, right? Like, I, I don't understand how many people don't study sleep. So when we study the activities that we have with a lens of one productivity, how much value we can provide with this activity, when we do it with accessibility, how accessible are we to others, which includes efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success, as well as the duality of accessibility, which is how much am I accessing during this activity, meaning what am I receiving of what I want? And then finally, that powerful lens of gratitude. Am I willing and able, is it worth it to find the light, the love, and the lessons in this activity. Because look, everything has light, love, and lessons in it, but so many people, about 80% of the people, spend their time, emotion, value, and money on things that bleed them, and they don't decipher what feeds them, and they should go ahead and utilize and focus their attention and activity into things that feed them, not bleed them. So being a student of your calendar provides all the man-made constructive activity and success that we have that allows us to make more money, help more people, and have more fun. Man, there's so much in that. There is so much in that response that I can process, that I could follow up on. I would say this. David, I need you to pick up a couple of names that I'm going to drop. I went to, you mentioned Mastro's, Ed Milet and John Gordon and I and our wives all had dinner. So you and I need to do that at some point. I would absolutely love to take you there and meet you at Mastro's. That's a great spot. And like I said, in terms of proximity, we are close. Now, yeah. when you talk about the student of be, or being a student of the calendar, what then is the 520 rule? Yeah, that changed my life. So I will give five-minute phone calls to anyone. Uh, and then it became a branding tool because people who had calls with me automatically had the perspective that I only had five minutes. So they came so much more prepared. My mentor, Bob Proctor, who you may have heard of, he told me, Dave, after five minutes on a phone call, almost without exception, you're just vis visiting. So if you're going to give five minutes on a phone call to someone uh, that you want to, then know that you want to visit with them. But don't spend your time visiting with people you barely know or don't know, unless you really want to get to know them. Spend your time with the people that are most relative to you. Because a lot of times, as my wife told me one time at dinner, why do you spend so much time and energy with people you don't know? 
when you have people right here at dinner that love you, right? Mm. I'd walk away from the table to get on the phone to make a sales call. And so for us, we need to understand five minute phone calls and then I do 20 minute meetings. Now, yes, there are exceptions, uh, but I want to be available and accessible to everyone. So if I limit those initial calls to five minutes and initial meetings to 20, I can decipher how best I can be of service and value. And importantly, I can decipher how they can be of value to me as well. All right, so I'm following you around a little bit. You mentioned your mentor, Bob Proctor. Uh, Bob Proctor. I've also heard you, David, talk about the fact that everybody should have three mentors. Do you still, and then who would the other two be? Yeah, so I think minimum of three mentors. And so actually what I've determined now is there's four needs to live. One is food, uh, nutrients. So I'm very conscious about receiving the right nutrients. So I have a health mentor. Uh, that allows me to eat right, supplements, all of the different things, exercise to literally surround. Now, I also have a therapist just recently in the last couple of years. I was um, molested as a young man. I actually uh, was with Sugar Ray Leonard who encouraged me to, to come out about this as he had with Todd Bridges years ago. And, and, and it was really freeing, but I found through therapy, right, that this was a type of mentorship to really get to know my nutrients, to surround myself with the right people, the right ideas, and right food, et cetera. So I have a mentor, what I call a nutrient mentor. Then I have a hydration mentor. And the hydration mentor is the person that not only has a capability of understanding how hydrated I am with what fluids, but moreover, it's a meditation, uh, not a meditation, I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Master Shaw, it's a connectivity mentor. So I believe that I'm connected to and through this omniscient source. So I want to be a conduit to others. I want to be able to allow things to come through me for others. So I picked one of the world's most famous masters, Master and Dr. Shaw. I trace calligraphies. I, I do quantum healing. I study physics, metaphysics, and quantum physics with him. Uh, all types of different, more spiritual things about being a conduit a oneness of the universe, which is very, very woo-woo. Then I have the third necessity besides nutrients in water is air. So I have a meditation breathing coach, uh, Dr. Sangeeta Sahi. So I do theta, theta meditation. I have a breathing coach so that I can get to center to neutral. Trevor Moad, who passed away recently, uh, was a coach of mine in this idea of being centered or neutral. He's uh, Russell Wilson's uh, coach as well, just passed. He went to Occidental College with me, um, but he had a huge impact on my life. And then the fourth mentor is a sleep coach. Uh, and Mita Singh is the NMLB's sleep coach. She, she's the one that helped the Astros win four games on the road for the first time in the World Series, even though they may have been cheating. Their sleep must have been good as well to pick up those signals. Um, but my, you know, I'm from Southern California. I, I was going to say, she didn't teach them to bang on those trash cans, did she? <laughs> no. But I think, you know, understanding your food, your water, your air, and sleep, those are the things I want mentorship. But in the past, I've had billion, you know, Tillman Fertitta is a mentor of mine for my relationship with money. You know, he's extraordinary, has an extraordinary energy and relationship and perspective with money. Uh, so I'll pick out different people with a specific purpose 
to help me achieve what I want. Because I truly believe the fastest way to get to where you want to be is find someone that's already there and ask them for directions. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's amazing. I, I'm so enjoying this conversation. It's going to come to an end soon, but I'm so enjoying that you and I could talk about all these things. And although there's a sprinkle of sports references, and that's where you and I kind of cut our teeth, we're not talking sports. It's so fascinating. You mentioned, David, how important sleep is, and you don't understand why more people don't understand that. I know you're somebody who gets up early, even as early as 4 o'clock. Here's my question. Getting up at 4 a.m., is it just a matter of saying, if you want to get up at 4 a.m., get up at 4 a.m., or do you have an actual process for getting up at 4 a.m.? Yeah, it's not. You're nailing it. To me, I start my day at 9 p.m., so I have an unwinding routine every night at 9 p.m. Pacific time. So uh, when I'm on the East Coast, it's midnight. Uh, so I'll unwind, meaning that at nine o'clock, there will be no negative energy, no negative ideas, no caffeine, no drugs, no alcohol, obviously. Uh, I will also have no physical exertion. I will do nothing after 9 p.m. that will interfere with the recovery of my body in the access of my mind and soul, meaning the subconscious and unconscious mind needs to be as close to neutrality as possible so that I truly believe I can receive while I'm sleeping, not only recover, but receive a download from the universe, this connection to the universe, so that when I wake up at 4 a.m., that I am completely recovered, but also I have plateaued and grow instead of most people live the myth of Sisyphus. They're like a tube, food in, food out, paycheck in, paycheck out. The, they push a boulder like in Camus, the stranger, right? They push a boulder to the top of the hill, just have it roll down to the bottom the next morning in dread and misery and tiredness, non-recovery. For me, that 9 p.m. unwinding routine allows me to awake in a higher position, to plateau and grow. And 4 a.m. is approximately the time. Sometimes it's a little earlier. Sometimes it's a little later. Do I have exceptions? Absolutely. That's why I have an adaptable routine, not just a set routine, but the majority of the time, right? I may spend minutes and moments in ego-based consciousness. I may spend minutes and moments doing things that I don't help teach other people because I'm human, but the majority of my time now is spent in this type of routine, and I have an adaptable routine when I need to modify it. All right, so the key here is a routine, a routine, an adaptable routine. Really quickly, a couple of things before I let you go, and this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation, even better than I thought. You said something recently that I'd never heard before that I'm really fascinated by. You said you learned to activate and deactivate your DNA. I mean, can you, in fact, just turn DNA off? I mean, I thought it was DNA. And if so, which parts do you activate and which parts do you deactivate? I love that. So there is an epigenetic layer of your genetics. Now, I believe encompassed in your genetics is an energetic inheritance, uh, which makes it even more difficult to understand what is you, your quantum being. And within the quantum being or within the context of what you're activating is four things, your personality traits your characteristics, your obsessions and addictions. And so what happens is we can have continuous behavior to talk to the cellular memory in our conscious. And the more repetitive we are, and you see this in sports, Jim, you know, to be a great golfer, you can't just be a great athlete. You have to swing the club a lot. And what happens is when we're repetitive, consistent, we get a signal to the cellular memory that then talks to our subconscious. Our subconscious has 40,000 of the same thoughts that are repetitive while we're not 
consciously thinking when we're sleeping and it's creating neural pathways that create efficiencies. Those neural pathways send a signal to the epigenetic layer of our DNA, our genetics and our energetic inheritance, given from four generations down or multiple lifetimes, if you believe in that. Why is this so important? Because that is which creates the frequency or the ask to the universe that we can't comprehend or be aware of. Meaning there is actually an energetic calling that comes from this quantum being, this personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions. And that's the intention that in, in the field of intention that calls an order or an ask or a wish to the universe that we're not even aware of. But it has to start with what we want, who can help us, how we can get it done, what's priority to us, and be repetitive in nature. But yes, through this repetitive process, consistent, persistent pursuit, that you can actually activate the part that you already have. Let me explain that because it, you can't just activate something that you're not. For example, if I wanted to be a great basketball player... I have a quantum limit. I have a quantum potential. I could practice from now until probably three lifetimes and never be as good as LeBron James. But meanwhile, there's certain things in my quantum nature that are accelerated past LeBron James that he would never be able to do. This is where people get in trouble with habits. So for example, if you know, you're an alcoholic, which is something I had to deal with with you know, my business partner there at Lee Steinberg, well, you know, if you have a quantum nature to be addicted to alcohol, you can't just quit drinking in 21 days when these guys are saying you can create a habit in 21 days. No, it's quantum in your nature. You're going to have to fight that for maybe lifetimes where there's other things that you may not be addicted to. You could, you know, smoke one, 10 cigarettes, 20 cigarettes, never want one again. You wouldn't have to wait 21 days. So this awareness to what our quantum being is by finding patterns historically in our family energetically in our lifetime that we're now more aware of what we should or shouldn't do in order to know what we want, who could help us, how to get it done, find out what's important according to our potential, and then apply our why to our potential that is best suited or aligned with what we want to do. This is thick in a really good way. So quickly, <laughs> David, I think you probably could spend a lot of time on this, but then physically, can we rewire our brains? And if so, how long does that take? It, you can absolutely rewire your brain and it's determinative upon, I believe, your quantum nature. So there's certain things you can rewire in a minimum of 21 days. And certainly there's some that may take 21 lifetimes. Uh, and this is my personal opinion. I have met with many doctors, metaphysicians, physicians that can tell me, you know, biochemically, chemically, how this all works genetically. Uh, but in my own understanding of this, this limited understanding of being ignorant and humble, I truly believe that we can program ourselves to the limitation of what is inherent in our genetic and energetic inheritance. So there's certain things. And I want to put this tip out there because this is about happiness and success, that one of the things I see people do, this is a nugget for everyone, is the things that are quantum in our nature. You know, you're a fabulous communicator, one of the best I've ever seen. Well, your whole life, it's probably been easy to communicate and people are like, dude, how do you do that? Oh my God, you can stand on stage. You know, you and I did the Irvine public school thing together. And I was like, oh my God, this guy rocks. He just, and what happens is we actually ignore our super potentials because it's so easy for us. And we don't listen to other people when they tell you, how do you do that? That's amazing. So I'm telling everyone out there, listen to other people. If they're telling you that's extraordinary or that's amazing, or how do you do that? 
Start listening for that so you know where you may have an advantage in the pragmatic world to take advantage of a potential that you've been born with instead of, like I did, try to be a professional football player, just end up on my back run over by Christian Okoya thinking doctor, lawyer, or failure. Well, he was the Nigerian nightmare, man. He was fierce. <laughs> you were not the only one that, that he did that to. So, David, one last thought, and I'm glad you brought that night about the Irvine Public Schools because we're still very, very involved, and Warren Moon was great that night. Let me ask you this. like, Let me just old school, throw it back instead of all the technology. Obviously, you're an extremely well-read person. We have a son who is now a junior in college, and I read and he reads. I'm curious, if I were to say to you, I want you to put one book in my junior in college son's hands right now as he begins his journey in life, what would that book be? Easy, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I first read that book when I, I want to say in college, and that book was written in the 1930s. Does it hold up today? And you were very quick to answer with that book. Why that book? Well, I still read, I still read it every day. And the wow. reason it's so effective is that human nature never changes. And I haven't found a book that encompasses human nature in the two time zones, the speed of thought and the speed of light. He has been able to incorporate the emotion, energetic and genetic things that I teach and believe in, in a very pragmatic way. You know, Lou Holtz always said, it's not what I say, it's what they hear. And people that are in college can hear uh, what Napoleon Hill is saying. And those lessons that he teaches will carry forward uh, not only in their lifetime, but their children's lifetime. So without a doubt, you know, My Kids in College is the only book I tell them to read. If they ask me for that one, that's the one I'd have them read. I love that. So you have your mission. You are looking to transform and impact 1 billion people worldwide. Dave, the conversation has been so amazing. Thank you so much for this. If people listening would like more information or maybe to reach out to you or just to find out more about what you teach and what you preach, what would you suggest? What's the best way for them to do so? Email me directly, david at dmelzer.com. I answer everything myself, david at dmelzer.com. If not, Google me. You can find me in all kinds of other places. And you have shows and you have podcasts and you have books and you are a keynote speaker and you are a CEO and a humanitarian. And that was just absolutely incredible, David. Thank you so much. I understand the 520 rule. I hated to violate that, but that was such a great conversation with so much great information. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, David. Anytime. I look forward to doing more. Thank you, Jim. So many awesome lessons from that conversation with David Meltzer. As I mentioned during the talk, man, that is thick, really thick in the best way possible. I loved his definition of happiness. I do not want to gloss over this. I love that he's so definitive about that. Like this isn't somebody saying everybody's definition of happiness is different. And it wasn't some Pollyanna bullcrap about do what makes you happy. No, he says, you know what will make you happy persistently pursuing your potential every single day. That's what makes you happy. And it's so true. Like, I would imagine it doesn't apply to everybody, but if you're here and you're listening to this podcast, you understand this. When are you truly happiest? When you're locked in, knocking down targets, and tearing through days in a consistent, persistent, disciplined, and focused manner. And on the flip side, when are you most unhappy? Well, I don't know about you, but I can speak from personal experience. And I know that I'm probably speaking for a number of you. I'm most unhappy when I'm sitting on my ass, 
not doing what I know I'm supposed to do, not hammering away at my show prep, not getting into the gym, or rolling into the pantry after dinner and looking to murder some sugar after having a great workout only a couple hours earlier. In short, not doing what I know I'm supposed to do. In other words, smashing that donut not only doesn't make me feel good, it makes me feel like shit, mentally and physically. I think it's going to make me feel good, but it does just the opposite, which brings me back to David's point. The things that you think make you happy actually don't. Choosing hard makes you happy. Doing what you know you should do consistently makes you happy. Consistently and persistently pursuing your potential. Every day is the key to happiness. Taking action consistently will make you happy. But sitting around worrying about things that are out of your control or that have already happened that you cannot change and then not living intentionally and with purpose only creates anxiety and unhappiness. Once again, another week, another guest, another amazing conversation, and what are we hearing? Per usual, no hack, no shortcut, no magic pill. Just consistent, persistent pursuit of a standard and the life that you want. Or, as recent guest Drew Hanlon put it, reverse engineer your life. Decide the life you want and then work backwards from there in creating it. Once again, that's an incredible conversation. My enormous thanks to David Meltzer for sharing his time, his story, his philosophy, and his advice. So little lives up to the hype, and my man just smashed it, and I cannot wait to speak to him again. As always, if you like what you're hearing and you're getting something out of these conversations, please do share them, review the pod, and make sure you're subscribed. That would mean the absolute world to me, just as you finding this pod every single week does as well. Thank you so much for listening. Have a tremendous week, and I will see you next time right here on The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.